From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And let me welcome you back to the Cannabis Podcast. So happy to have you along for the ride. If this is your very first visit, well, and especially warm, welcome for you. I hope you're looking for information about cannabis, because that's what the next 30 or 40 minutes is going to be filled with. If that's what you're looking for, well, you came to the right place. Now, before we get too much further along, let me remind you, this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction, and is intended purely for entertainment and perhaps educational purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. In episode 144, it's a bit of a milestone. When we first started the Cannabis Podcast back on December 1st, 2018, I was doing it weekly because at that point I was not working. I was just consuming cannabis. (laughs) And then I took my full-time job at Spirit Leaf in Kelowna, where I worked for almost the last four years. And that meant that I didn't have the time to do this weekly. But guess what? Since retirement has come along, this is the first episode. And the fact that it's a milestone, we're going back to doing it weekly. In episode 144, here's what we got to cover for you. A couple of stories from stratcan.com, one on a Kelowna store getting a $7,000 fine for not checking ID. From MJ Biz Daily, we talk about why isn't the cannabis Canadian market thriving like many expected it would be. And also from Stratcan, an opinion piece from David Brown on what the Liberal government has done, and that is absolutely nothing with the cannabis file since legalization. And there is a new study that shows that there has been no significant change in use or disorder post-legalization, like many were suspecting there would be, and a new site that has come up that will be talking to one of the people responsible for it in the next episode of the the Cannabis Podcast, and that's a site called weedoutmisinformation.ca. And I'm really happy to see this initiative underway. We'll talk a little bit more about that as well. On Cultivar Corner, we are going to Purifier down in Penticton, and we are doing their critical condition. That is coming up on Cultivar Corner, and who knows, maybe we'll squeeze something else in as well. All of that and more on episode 144 of the Cannabis Podcast. Every once in a while, I get a contact through the Cannabis Podcast that I just have to share, because it, it, it lets me know, first of all, that there is some value to what I'm doing. People are appreciating it. But I think more importantly... It lets me know some things that I didn't know, that that it is having an impact on people in ways that I had no idea. So let me share this with you. This is from Sparky, we'll call her. Sparky also bought me a doobie and then left this message. Thank you, Gary, for continuing to share your story while educating us through your podcast. I have been enjoying listening to you over the past couple of years. When I was pregnant, your podcast helped me by living through your experience each doobie at a time. I found that when I was feeling anxious at night or couldn't sleep, I would listen to you, and that was enough to calm me down. And a bit of a sidebar on that. I do realize that sometimes my voice can be of the type that can put one to sleep if one so desires. (laughs) But I don't take offense at that. End of sidebar. I love how passionate you are about cannabis and your logical approach to teaching your audience the benefits of cannabis while socializing the use of marijuana. The structure of your episodes is fantastic. The portion of time spent in each segment is perfect. I think it's great when you have guest speakers who talk about the industry and her product. And I've noticed how you articulate yourself when discussing current political dispositions. Your presentation is clear, informative, and insightful. The pace, volume, and tone of your speech is very inviting. And and there's a bunch more. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. 
anytime you contact me, just to hear that, that there is some other value other than the fact that I'm just getting stoned and reading a bunch of stories about cannabis, <laughs> that, that there is some benefits, some outcome on the other side that I had no idea about when I first started this. I had no idea that it would have that kind of an impact for some people. So thanks for letting me know, Becky, Sparky. I really appreciate that. And thanks for the doobie as well. And that seems like a pretty appropriate time to thank my supporters as well. So thanks to Jordana, Keith, and Jordan at buymeacoffee.com slash cannabis podcast. You can go there too, just like Sparky did and buy me a doobie if you like what you hear and you feel so inclined. Also want to thank my patrons at Patreon. Thanks to Tony, Roger, Rob, and Gage. I thank you so much for your support. And now let's get to our first story. My thanks for this story to David Brown from StratCan.com. We take a lot of stories from StratCan. This was an expensive Valentine's Day for one cannabis store in Kelowna when a judge ordered them to pay a $7,000 fine for an employee for getting to check ID. As a bit of a sidebar, I, well, I guess I can believe this has been going on. People have been getting liquor for years, right, underage. I, I guess it's naive of me to think that it shouldn't be happening in the cannabis world. It obviously is. <laughs> End of sidebar. Tierro Cannabis in Kelowna was subject to a targeted inspection in July of 2023, in which an underage agent was sold a package of cannabis gummies. The employees on duty did not ask for the minor agent's ID or their age. In rendering their decision, the general manager of the BC Liquor and Cannabis Regulation Branch, the LCRB, ruled that store management did not take proper actions to ensure staff were properly checking ID, leading to the decision to implement the penalty of a $7,000 fine. For a first offense of this type, which was the case here, BC has a range of penalties such as a license suspension for 7 to 11 days and or a monetary penalty of 7 to $11,000. Caro operates four cannabis retail stores in BC, including the Kelowna location, as well as Vancouver, Port Moody, and Victoria. BC's Minor as Agents Program, or MAP, utilizes young people under the age of 19 to test if cannabis and liquor stores in BC are checking IDs. The program works with two adult agents and one minor. One adult agent first enters the store to assess if it's safe for the minor to enter. If deemed safe, the minor then enters the store and selects a product to buy. If the purchase is made successfully, the minor agent then returns to a car where the second adult agent awaits to collect the product. At the same time, the first adult agent communicates the action to the store employees on duty. In this case, the branch alleged that the minor agent purchased a five-pack of strawberry mango sours by spinach for about $7. The store clerk, later identified as the manager on duty, sold the product to the miner. In their defense, representatives for Kiero discussed the chain's internal policies for staff training and practices for checking ID. In their ruling, the branch determined that the store had provided evidence that it had an adequate training program and an effective ID policy for teaching all its employees when and how to request ID. However, it also ruled that there was little evidence about how the policies are being implemented in the Kelowna store where the infringement occurred. The store noted that the manager on duty who sold the cannabis to the miner was suspended without pay for five days and had a written warning added to their file. Ultimately, BC determined that the store had not demonstrated due diligence in ensuring its policies were being properly taught and executed in its stores. The branch also recommended that the licensee consider introducing a pop-up question at its point-of-sale system where an employee must answer yes or no to have you asked for ID before being able to complete a sale. The retailer may now apply for a reconsideration of this compliance order in accordance with BC law within 30 days. BC is sometimes more lenient in its rulings, 
In a case heard in 2023, it was found that a cannabis retailer was not responsible when an employee failed to check the ID of a customer. This was because the store demonstrated that it had an extensive training program in place. While the employee was fired for their oversight, the retailer, Eggs Canna, did not have to face a $7,000 monetary penalty or shut down for seven days. So there has been a bit of this checking going on in the Kelowna market over the last few months. There was another store that actually did have its license suspended for a few days. <laughs> it still amazes me that, that the staff in these stores are not checking ID, especially for people who look young. <laughs> I mean, it is. You still do have to be 19 to purchase it. <laughs> Let's see how many more of these occur in the BC market. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And to mjbizdaily.com for our next story. This one written by Matt Lamers. We've had a lot of stories by Matt Lamers over the years. This one is covering, why isn't cannabis cannabis market thriving? Five plus years after Canada legalized adult use marijuana, the illicit market still is estimated to account for anywhere from one quarter to more than half of all cannabis sales in the country. The report tackled crucial questions, that according to a new report from business services company Deloitte Canada. The report tackled crucial questions such as, what are the gaps between the illicit and legal markets in terms of product offerings, price and operational tactics, and why isn't Canada's cannabis market thriving? To help fill the gaps, Deloitte and its partner, Neil Boy, analyzed data from 624 private legal adult-use marijuana stores and 57 illegal ones. The two biggest takeaways for me are price convergence and how brazen the illicit websites are. Christopher McGrath, Deloitte Canada's senior manager and author of the report, told MJBS Daily in a phone interview. Illicit websites offered almost twice as many products as legal competitors did, the analysis also found. Regulated recreational stores had an average of 538 stock-keeping units per store, which illicit operators had an average SKU count of 918. The illicit market has an enormous competitive advantage because they're not faced with the same regulations. They can flex and adapt on price easily. Their production is simple and cheap, and they can use pesticides, McGrath said. He suggested the upcoming Cannabis Act review, which is required to be released by the end of March, presents an opportunity to address issues facing the industry. Well, MJ Biz Daily asked six experts from across the country to answer the question, why isn't Canada's cannabis market thriving? Bina Goldberg, CEO of Organogram Holdings in Toronto, said, In today's challenged industry, many LPs are struggling. Profitability seems to be out of reach, and in many cases, these businesses are faced with tough choices. Pay suppliers, pay the bills, pay employees, or pay their excise duties. For the large number of cannabis companies in arrears, excise duties fall to the bottom of the payables list, and with good reason. For several years now, the Canada Revenue Agency, CRA, has not been enforcing excise collection. The problem is that this creates an unfair playing field for those competing in the space. Excise duties collected from the provincial wholesalers but not remitted to CRA are being used as a source of funding. In essence, properly using the Canadian government as a financing vehicle. The result is that these LPs now have an advantage over producers who are diligently paying their taxes on time, such as Organigram, as those in arrears are essentially able to use excise payables as cash flow. From a tax policy standpoint, applying consistent penalties payment plans, and enforcement when it comes to excise is critical to enabling the industry to consolidate as it should, which will inevitably support a thriving legal market. Julia Cameron, Vice President of Communications, Pure Sun Farms, Vancouver. All we hear about are the complexities and challenges we're up against in cannabis. But let's ask ourselves, what bright spots are being generated in profitability, performance, and productivity? What can we learn about what's working in Canada's most exciting emergent industry? Those who are seeing success have played it smart. They didn't just throw money around. 
They executed a measured approach characterized by prudent capital use, careful cash flow, strategic investments, and thoughtful product segmentation. They've leveraged the expertise of operators who've navigated tough regulations, economic headwinds, and razor-thin margins. They maintained a realistic outlook, steering clear of inflated market assumptions and set and met reasonable expectations, and they realize they can't do it alone. They see the power in collaborating, embracing open-door policies with government, regulators, and even their competition. This is what we need to think about as we work to create thriving businesses in cannabis. Tamara Lovi, Chief Business Officer, Rose Life Science, and Board Treasurer of Cannabis Council of Canada. It's a matter of expectations. About five years ago, before legalization, the assumption was that the legal market size would be around $10 billion Canadian. Investments were made with this assumption. The issue is, we're just a little over halfway there. Although the legal market continues to grow year over year, for those who originally heavily invested with an assumption we would already be at $10 billion Canadian, their business model is not sustainable. Yes, excise tax is eating a disproportionate amount from licensed producers' profit and loss statements. It should have represented about 10% of gross sales. Instead, it's around 30%, which doesn't leave much for LPs to operate, to comply with regulations, to complete with illicit market pricing, or to reinvest. This has forced LPs to get creative in driving efficiencies to be profitable. Many are barely surviving, leaving room for the illicit market to thrive. Excise tax reform is critical to injecting new momentum into the legal market so it can finally reach its full potential. Sherry Boudram, CEO and co-founder of Can Delta, Toronto. Why is the illicit market still such a problem when there has been a legal recreational cannabis industry in Canada for almost six years? The expectation upon legalization was that government and law enforcement would prioritize eradicating the illicit cannabis sources, including illicit physical stores and online stores, to support their legislative objectives of protecting the health and safety of Canadians and preventing youth from accessing cannabis. There is potential for prosperity in a legal market that is supported by favorable governance and a level playing field without the added pressure of illicit competitors. It is critical for all governments in collaboration with law enforcement to reassess and reinforce strategies that will allow for a robust legal cannabis industry that is recognized as having significant potential to drive economic growth and innovation across the Canadian economy. The longer illegal outlets operate openly before being shut down, the more they contribute to public confusion and blur the lines in public perception about the legality and acceptability of purchasing cannabis from these illegal sources. Margaret Brody, CEO, Rubicon Organics, Vancouver. Beyond the structural difficulties in the system, I believe that the legal market encompasses only approximately half of Canada's total cannabis market, and this is because consumers are confused. This consumer confusion stems from a plethora of in-store purchase options, inconsistency in brand experiences, such as the price-to-quality equation, and changing quality from purchase to purchase, and the challenge of discerning whether a purchase is within the legal market or not. The simplest explanation lies in the exorbitant pricing driven by excise taxes and regulatory burdens imposed on licensed producers. And finally, Trina Fraser, partner of Brazo Seller Law in Ottawa. While many criticize Bill C-45, the Cannabis Act, as being rushed, government maintained that record levels of illicit cannabis use meant we did not have the luxury of time. We boldly forced ahead, knowing that refinements would be needed. But we have now lost the sense of urgency that created the Cannabis Act in the first place. As industry is pleading for financial and regulatory reforms to preserve the vision of a sustainable, regulated cannabis industry, opposition is grounded in demands for evidence that simply doesn't exist given the novelty of Canada's approach. This didn't stop us from passing the Cannabis Act into law, and it shouldn't stop us from improving it. 
While we shouldn't be reckless and we should continue to carefully monitor public health outcomes, we cannot allow data gaps to paralyze us from making reasonable, incremental changes that will further displace the illicit market. And what's your answer to that question? Why is the legal cannabis market not thriving as we all thought it would six years into the into the play? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic, too. If you have some, send them to info at CannabisPodcast.com. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. And it's really quite striking when you have the microphone faced the right way, how much better it sounds. <laughs> I wasn't stoned. First thing in the morning, I woke up, I sat down in the studio, a newly refined studio, so things are a little bit different. I had been doing some other stuff with the microphone. I pulled it over, I started recording Cultivar Corner, and then I realized, why is it so low? <laughs> so let me start again. This is Cultivar Corner today. We are doing, are heading down to Penticton for pure fire cannabis and their critical condition. Here is the jar pop. Oh, I got three buds in this jar. So they're all, what, about a little gram, gram and a bit. Just beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful weed. Let me pull out one of those big buds. Oh, 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 and fruity and sticky. (laughs) Oh, just absolutely amazing. Really enjoying the jar appeal. (laughs) Oh, just such a beautiful aroma as you pop open that jar. Let me tell you a little bit about Pure Fire. So purefireco.ca is where I'm getting this information. Unique cultivars, premium smoke. Unique, ultra-high quality flower and rare genetics are our bread and butter. Many of our strains have been developed in-house for over 40 years and are not available anywhere else. Our passion for breeding continues to this day as we're always searching for new and exciting genetics. Our extensive library includes cultivars with strong terpenes and rare profiles, and we're both excited and proud to share them with you. So they have some flour that you can buy today, that you can burn today on their site, Atomic Berry, Bomba Number 5, and then they have some coming soon or stay tuned, and perhaps the website has not been updated. (laughs) Because I have Critical Condition, which is one of the coming soon, Uh, THC on the website listed at 31.6, on my jar 29.9, so didn't quite hit that one. My total terpenes on the web 5.6, in my jar 5.57, which of course would be rounded up to 6. This is, oh god that smells good, critical condition, meticulously bred in-house by Purifier. Critical condition crosses peyote critical with grape cake head. Selected from Jungle Boy's grape cakehead seeds, males were merged with peyote-critical pheno hunted from B.C. Smokehouse, resulting in a strain which flaunts plump, deep purple and dark blue buds adorned with vivid green highlights. Accented with tangerine pistols and draped in crystal trichomes, its bouquet releases an enchanting blend of earthy sweetness with subtle clove nuances. Hmm, and there is the definition I've been looking for. Definitely that earthy sweetness. God, that smells good. And the subtle clove nuances, a hint of spice that you're picking up on the end of it. Really, really quite impressed. Uh, Perhaps this is not the best plan. As you know, when I do cultivar corners, they're done first thing in the morning. So I get a fresh crack at my endocannabinoid system being raw and unused. Well, today, 
Uh, this is indicated as a fairly heavy indica, so this could be a nap day for me. <laughs> I've got it all ready. Oh, the flower is just beautiful, and as I was pulling that out, my goodness, sticky, sticky, sticky. Like it just got so sticky on my fingers as I was breaking it up. And nothing feels better than a really sticky weed as you're rolling it up. So let's have a taste. This is Pure Fire, Critical Condition, 29.9% THC, 5.6% Terps. Oh, and that first inhale, very, very smooth. Picking up some of those sweet earthiness. Guess a little bit of that clove, perhaps, on my exhale. I have really been looking forward to this. I had somebody try it before I did, and they said it was some of the best weed that they had smoked in a long, long time. Bill and his family down at Purifier in Penticton doing an absolutely fine job growing some cannabis. As we know from the previous description, they have been in this for a while. <laughs> And they have been running some rare genetics for a while. Uh, and the end result, pretty, pretty impressive. Some other strains coming up. We'll see if we can check those out when they get there. But critical condition, the one we're dealing with now, so far on the joint, really nice and smooth. Oh, yeah. And now we move to the Ariser Air Max. Let's have a taste. Oh. My goodness sakes. And that subtle earthy sweetness becomes much more bountiful when you pull up the vaporizer. Oh, and here come the happy eyes. Mm. Oh, that is so nice and smooth through the air, Max. Oh, that's delicious. Again, just some hints of the sweetness. And some of those spicy afternotes as I deal with the exhale. Joint's still going strong. Oh, and happy eyes are coming on stronger. <laughs> I love smoking cannabis, as you well know. <laughs> and I especially love trying a strain I hadn't tried before, a cultivar. <laughs> it's funny how we still drop into that old habit of calling things strains. And on Cultivar Corner, I try to revert to them as cultivars as much as possible. Oh, oh I'm getting a really nice buzz off of this. Really a nice buzz. Back to the Air Max for some more of that taste. Mm. And happy eyes are abundant. Ah, a little euphoria coming on. We have to have a hint of that euphoria, right? Oh, and there they are. Oh, yes. This is what I do Cultivar Corner for. <laughs> for that feeling after a few minutes of imbibing, and you just feel your endocannabinoid system become enveloped as your receptors pick up all those beautiful THC notes. Mm -mm -mm. Heavy on the happy eyes now. Heavy on the euphoria. And moving into a bit of a body stone. <sighs> I don't think there's any question about whether Carrie's going to be having a nap later today. <laughs> but he's going to enjoy it getting there. Oh, this is really, really nice. Boy, it tastes so good. 
and it is so smooth going down, both in the joint and in the vaporizer. And here's my happy eyes. Oh, nice little rush. Oh. <laughs> I just love this. <laughs> As you know, I take my job seriously, and I intend to do the best job I can in this role. Oh, and I love doing the work. <laughs> One more hit out of the vaporizer. Oh. <laughs> the happy eyes are ablazing. The euphoria is just a flying through my head right now. <sighs> and a nice little body stone. Mm. Oh, this is really sweet. <laughs> I somehow knew I was going to enjoy some critical condition. <sighs> I wouldn't say I'm in critical condition, <laughs> but I'm definitely pretty high. And I expect that to just get a bit deeper as this rolls around in my endocannabinoid system. Another successful trip down the Okanagan Valley to Penticton, where we stopped at Purifier Cannabis and had a taste of their critical condition, their indica-dominant 29.9% THC, 5.5% terps, <laughs> and a really nice high. I am loving it. Sharing stories about good weed while trying good weed. This is the Cannabis Podcast. We've covered a lot of stories from Stratcan.com since we started the Cannabis Podcast. David Brown, thank you so much for all your work. In fact, this is a very insightful piece written by David Brown. Cannabis legalization was one of the crown jewels of Trudeau's Liberal Party of Canada, arguably helping to catapult the party to a majority government in 2015. The move to legalize was a bold one, positioning Canada as a leader in an evolving global landscape at a time when public support for the issue was still relatively divided. However, since cannabis was formally legalized in Canada in 2018, Trudeau and his federal liberals have been almost entirely absent from the file. This is despite comments Trudeau made at a town hall meeting in March of 2023 that it may be time for the government to look at how they support to the sector more. On one hand, Trudeau and the liberals not only avoiding the subject of cannabis legalization, but also the sector in general makes sense. Supporting the legal industry isn't as simple as supporting legalization as a concept. And many conservative voters still hate all things weed. But at the same time, those who supported the concept of legalization don't necessarily support the current model. And public perception of the industry is informed by media coverage focusing on large, publicly traded companies with high-paid C-suite executives. In addition, Trudeau was always very clear that the goals of legalization were based on public health and safety, not economic growth. However, for legalization to be successful, it must be a viable private business sector. For many cannabis companies in Canada, from producers to retailers and all steps in between, being able to keep the lights on and make payroll is challenging, especially in such a highly regulated and taxed sector. The federal excise tax alone can eat into 30% or more of a cannabis producer's profits, something the industry has been loudly pointing out to anyone who will listen for years. Trudeau even said in the past that applying too much tax to cannabis will undermine the viability of the sector, driving people back to the black market similar to what we've seen with tobacco. The fact is that if you tax it too much as we saw with cigarettes, you end up with driving things towards a black market, which will not keep Canadians safe, particularly young Canadians, he said in 2015. However, since Canada finally legalized, with the first cannabis being sold on October 17, 2018, Trudeau and the federal Liberals have been essentially MIA on the file. Industry concerns about burdensome regulations and excessive levels of taxation are largely ignored. While the effort to establish a regulated industry was successful, 
An increasing number of Canadian businesses are failing, and the health of the industry itself is at stake. Rather than taking a victory lap on what was once one of the crowning policy proposals for the party, it's now the forgotten toy at the bottom of the chest. Trudeau seems to have forgotten about cannabis almost entirely. Nearly a year ago, Trudeau told the owner of a cannabis business in Newfoundland, who expressed many of these very concerns, that it was time for the federal government to look beyond the immediate public health and safety goals of legalization and see what the government can do to make sure that this is a beneficial industry. There is a little more clarity about how the industry is evolving, and it's easy to say 10 years from now, 50 years from now, it will be great, he continued. Right now, you're in the industry, you have payroll you're trying to make, you're trying to support people. We want to try and get there for you as well. But this was done not because we were going to create jobs with it, although we knew that would happen. It was done out of a public health and justice approach. But hopefully we're going to be able to catch up and be supportive of the real positive industry that it has become. Well, Mr. Trudeau? That's how David Brown finishes the article. Excellent job, David. Great thoughts on that. (laughs) And you're absolutely right. They have been really missing in action on this file ever since legalization. It's like we have been shouting to the wind and nobody has been paying attention. Let's hope that changes sometime soon. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. I was contacted this week by Daniel Baer, who is a researcher at Humber College in Toronto, who has been studying cannabis for 20 years. In fact, you will hear a lot more from Daniel. He's going to be my guest on the next episode of the Cannabis Podcast. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is a new page that Humber has put out called Weed Out Information. It's a great resource, and I think it's only going to get better. Let me give you a just a sample of what's happened or what happens on this Weed Out Information page. Have you consumed too much cannabis? Well, here are some things you should know about that. They have a whole bunch of cannabis information. For example, I've just clicked on Cannabis Info. Uh, Can your setting and place affect your cannabis high? How to achieve your desired high? What are the different reasons for consuming cannabis? What's the most common form of cannabis consumption? Let's check that one out. So 74% of cannabis consumption is in the form of dried bud. It can be purchased legally from local dispensaries across Canada in various strains and potencies. Dried cannabis is mainly consumed via smoking methods such as bongs, joint and pipes, or more minimally harmful methods such as vaporizers. Smoking cannabis presents few respiratory risks for infrequent consumers, but if you are consuming smoke products frequently, you may want to consider alternative methods. A dry herb vaporizer will still allow you to consume flour, have quick onset, and enjoy the taste of good cannabis, but ensures there are fewer combusted materials entering the lungs. From my initial observation of this site, looks like it's very cool. Great information there. And their intent is just to expand that. They'll be doing further surveys. And that's one of the, re- one of the things that Daniel Bear and I will be talking about when he joins us on the next edition of the Cannabis Podcast. So if you want to check it out in advance, you'll find the link where all the links are with the Cannabis Podcast. You can go to weedoutmisinformation.ca for more. And we go to Stratcan.com for our next story, which is kind of validating what many of us thought when cannabis was legalized. A new cannabis study is showing no significant change in rates of use disorder post-legalization. Despite fears that legalizing cannabis would lead to troubling increases in problematic cannabis use, a new study is once again showing these concerns were overhyped. Anyone who's around post-2015, from the toaster bud affair to the hysteria following Canadian Senator Nicole Eaton's revelation that five grams of cannabis is equivalent to four tokes, is well aware that a certain subset of Canadian politics 
has been staunchly afraid that the only possible outcome of recreational legalization could be widespread reefer madness and the full-blown undermining of any semblance of cultural and or economic normalcy that had been retained from the post-war boom, when everything was perfect for 15 or so years and only degenerate criminals partook in the devil's lettuce. (gasps) Despite this hyperbole, as with any movement of great effect, there were an array of reasonable concerns surrounding legalization from rational parties, and now that recreational legalization has been demonstrating its effect for some time in many jurisdictions, researchers have some solid data to work with in analyzing the validity of these concerns. Earlier this month, a new study from researchers at the Universities of Waterloo and Toronto examined one of these reasonable concerns, that of increased cannabis use disorder. For the purposes of this study, the presence of use disorder was determined using the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders Criteria for Cannabis Dependence and Abuse, the Cannabis Use Disorder Identification Test Revised, and the World Health Organization Alcohol, Smoking, and Substance Involving Screening Test, with researchers noting that these scales typically assess a combination of frequent use as well as negative consequences on employment, social relationships, and health. The study also notes that in terms of non-problematic use, the number of people who had used cannabis once in the last month, last three months, or last 12 months did increase. But was this also indicative of an increase in problematic use? The short answer is no. The long answer is also no. Researchers screened groups of people of varying ages for problematic cannabis use in 2018, 19, and 20. In 2018, 89.1% of subjects were rated as low risk for problematic risk versus 88% in 2020. Researchers concluded that overall, in the initial period following legalization in Canada, levels of problematic use have changed very little at the population level. According to this conclusion, researchers noted that modest differences in problematic use risk scores were observed based on various socio-economic indicators as well as race or ethnicity, indicating that future research should continue to monitor the prevalence of problematic cannabis use indicators, keeping these factors in mind to ensure that any potential drawbacks of legalization are not disproportionately impacting marginalized populations. In the past, other studies have arrived at similar conclusions. This study from October of last year concluded that while cannabis legalization in Canada was associated with greater perception of cannabis harm among young people, it was also easier access. This indicates that harm reduction messaging is having the desired effect, while ease of access to a regulated supply is ensuring that those who choose to partake aren't putting themselves at mortal risk by doing so. Also in 2021, the Journal of the American Medical Association published a survey of about 830,000 Americans that showed cannabis use did not increase in any significant way following legalization in any of the states that had chosen to do so at that point. So while the widespread recreational legalization of cannabis has certainly increased access, availability, and safety, at present it does not seem that this has precipitated the kinds of doomsday scenario that conservative senators Gladue and Eaton raised alarm bells over back in the early days, or even anything resembling them. And this was not hard to predict. (laughs) Many of us thought that the hyperbole was way overblown in terms of all the dangers that were going to occur through legalization, and so many of them just have not occurred. What an evolving industry. On that note, let me thank you once again for being a listener. I truly appreciate the fact that you were here. And let's finish with a smile on our face one more time. (laughs) Did you hear? There's a new company out there. They're planning to feed cows a diet of cannabis mixed in with their food. 
The claims are that the relaxed cattle will produce more milk and tender meat. The issue is that the legal costs of this are through the roof, and even the best estimates are that they won't turn a profit until 2034. The stakes have never been higher. And that wraps up episode 144 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.